Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to read from Psalm 103, verse 7, because though this may seem a separate emphasis, it's not. This is a standalone thought today, but I'm not finished with this whole issue that we've been talking about for three weeks now, on that we are made in the image of God and where we've come from, a self-image and self-awareness and those aspects we've looked at and studied right through to personality types. I'm sitting this here today because I think this is I think this is foundational, so fundamental. You know, so many things I teach you, I don't know if you ever do this. Um, as I'm preparing to say it to you myself, I think, God, I wish someone had told me this. <laughs> and I don't know what God makes of us saying that to him. But I wish someone had told me this, in some shape or form had told me this, because I find these things that I teach you so missing in my background, and so late in the day I suppose to be talked about, I think everything's beautiful, perfect in its time, maybe if these were in my background, they wouldn't be such a passion to me now, and wouldn't have helped so many people, I guess here or around the world, as I've made these things part of my life message, I suppose, to liberate the human heart, and to permit people to be themselves has become a major aspect of what I talk about wherever I go. I alluded to this just a little bit last week and I stopped thinking, okay, I'm going to stop this because I'm going to get carried away. Because sometimes when you're speaking about something, it's like having children with you. You decide to speak about this child and the other children feel, I want some attention too. And as you're speaking inside you, unknown to anyone, the next child that you're going to feature next week wants to come early and wants to be spoken about now. So that other child presses, and last week, this other child is saying, yes, yes, ooh, talk about me, yes. And as I'm talking about that next child coming up, I'm excited about that child, what that child's going to bring to us, but I had to put him back in the cupboard (laughs) until his time came, and his time has come today. And Psalm 103, verse 7, again, I've always loved this verse and not always understood it. David speaking said, He, God, made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. God made known his ways to Moses. Everybody say ways. Ways. And his acts. Say acts. These are the two words I'm going to play off today. To the people of Israel. God's acts and God's ways are two different things. We know God's acts by His Word. But we can only know His ways by relationship. You can't know God's ways by reading a book. You can know what God did by reading His diary, His journal, if you like, the Bible. We know He opened the Red Sea and raised the dead and healed the sick. and We know His acts by His Word. But His ways, the why, the heart, the reasoning behind the acts that we see, you can't know by reading the act, no more than you can about anyone else in this room. Ways require relationship to know them. And the problem is, most of us, and 
Again, I don't want to assume that just because it was true of my generation, it's true now, because I know it's certainly not here, but it is not necessarily true across the world, that many people are still now today being raised with a greater awareness of God's acts and a greater emphasis on God's acts and more attention on his acts than on his ways. So we have generations repeatedly of the church, primarily now, that have been raised that know God's word because if you know his acts, you'll know his word. You can quote his word. You're aware of what he did. You know the verses, the stories. So we have a generation that know his word, but they don't know him. We've been confused for generations, and we still are, between knowing about God and knowing God. And if you know about God, but don't know God, you'll never find who you are. That's why this belongs comfortably, I think, in the setting of this bigger picture of we are made in the image of God and finding who God made you to be and all that. I think this sits well in that. We've made knowing about God and knowing God the same thing, and they're not the same thing. So we've tried to have a relationship with God's Word. We've tried to be close with His acts. We've tried to have fellowship, and we've tried to build a theology, and we've tried to build a relationship with Him and each other on His Word, on His acts. And I want you to know that is so last covenant. (laughs) Because in the old covenant, as you just saw, most people, the entire nation of Israel, knew his acts. Only Moses, one in millions, had some inside relationship with God, some face-to-face knowing of his ways. The vast majority of people through The centuries of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, did not know His ways. They only knew His acts. And yet here we are, 2,000 years into a new covenant, into New Testament, where the Holy Spirit lives inside people, and now we are God's home, and now we have this intimate access and relationship to Him. And what do we do? We still know Him by His acts. We still have a relationship with His Word, but don't know the God behind the Word, So we have word quoting, word knowing, word preaching, Christians, and that's wonderful, but why stop there? That's no more than the Old Testament had. And yet we don't know him any more than our ancestors did thousands of years ago. So we grew up believing that obedience to the word, to the word, his acts, his commands, his demands... Obedience to the word was the ultimate thing that we should do to please God. It was the ultimate expression of discipleship to obey his word. And so we had people that obey his word, but they don't know God. So we have people that are teaching us, and I grew up under this, that the main thing is, the the only thing is, the most important thing is that we obey God. I would not want to raise a child that way, no more than a child of God that way. If the most important thing to you as a parent is your kids do as they're told, I promise you, 
you will have a dysfunctional child by the age of five or six and a, and a nightmare of a teenager coming up later. But many of us that would see the stupidity of that and the foolishness of that and the dysfunction of that with our kids don't see the dysfunction of that in our relationship with God as his kids. That, that obedience is penultimate. And of course obedience is important and is right. But there's more to God. There's more to this relationship of father and child than God said so I'm going to do. God said so I'm going to do. And that's it. The Pharisees were amazing keepers of the word. But they didn't know God. They obeyed every single detail of the word. In fact, Jesus said, in a commendable way, I believe, you guys tithe of every mint bush and every herb bush in the garden. You're that forensic about obeying the Old Testament law, as we know it was. But to them, the word of God. You, you are brilliant at that. But he said, you've neglected love and justice. You can't know love and justice from a word, from a verse. So they did what he commanded, but they didn't know him. And therefore, what they passed on to people was, we want you to tithe off your herb bushes like we do, but we're not going to teach you to know God because we don't. And so we have another generation coming up under them of people that are doing it by the book, but they don't know God. And we build lives that are like painting by numbers. You know, this is, this is this subject, we're supposed to do that. This is this subject, we're taught to do that. Because that's what the Bible says, or that's what someone told us the Bible says, and that's what we do. So we obey the word, but we don't know the heart behind the word. And we quote the word, but we don't express the heart of God that's in that word. And we frighten people off. And we put burdens on people's backs still, and we raise Bible-quoting, word-obeying people that don't know God. We know His acts, but we don't know His ways. And to the Pharisees, obedience was king, but not to Jesus. When they asked Jesus, which commandments are the most important? He didn't mention any that they thought He might. He said, I'm not going to answer you from the basis you're asking me. They're asking Him from a word and from acts. And he answered them from ways and relationship. He said, love God and love people. So you can see that they're both in two different complete worlds in even approaching the same subject. They asked from word and he answered from way. They asked from we know the word of God, so we're confident we're going to trip you up. He answered from, but I know the ways. I have a relationship with God. And I know to God, love is more important than what you do with a mint bush in the garden. I know, and you know, about David Cameron, to use a name. I could say Lady Gaga, it doesn't matter. Just a name we'd all know, President Obama, whatever. Just, I know about that person, but I don't know that person. But I think we think what we know about them means that we know them. And if I can help you see this from a person, if you're not getting it with God, you may say, well, I know David Cameron because I know someone who worked with David Cameron. And they told me this, this, this. Well, all you have going on then 
is all we have had in the church for centuries. All you have is someone else's version of David Cameron. And what we've done in the church is we have built our lives on someone else's telling us what they know about God because we still didn't know him for ourselves. You ever had someone tell you something about someone and you know the person really well and when they tell you something you think, no, they didn't say that. I know they'd never say that. And the only grounds for saying that is because you have a relationship with the person that allows you to say from personal experience, I know that can't be true. But you have a dilemma. Because if you have a friendship with the person that's telling you about the person you know, you're in a dilemma because you don't want to upset them, you don't want to look like you don't trust them, or be unfriendly towards them by saying that's not true. So even though when you meet the person, sometimes... Sometimes it can be a person you don't know and somebody says to you, oh, that person, so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, they're unfriendly or they're rude or they don't care or... And then when you meet that person, you find it to be totally not true. And even though you found what they said to not be true, because now you know that person to a greater degree for yourself than you did before you just went on someone's report... You find yourself in a dilemma of, do I go back and say, that wasn't true, I found the opposite, or do you go back and not say anything, letting that person believe that what they said to you about that person, you've bought into, but secretly in your heart, you know, I never found that to be true, I found it to be very friendly and warm and open. What do we do with all that? Because we've been telling people for years, this is what God wants, this is what God thinks. This is how God works. This is what God commands. And so me as a young Christian, I was like, monkey see, monkey do. I just, like you, we just just did it. But what we all relied on, I think, or what the leadership relied on, I think, I suppose, is that none of us would ever bother getting to know God for ourselves. None of us would ever bother to ask, why is that what God thinks? And... uh, I'm not sure about that. Or I am going to find that out for myself. I don't want to know about David Cameron based on what you know about David Cameron. Because I still only have your version and your version is going to be biased by your personality. So in the midst of what you think about a person is what you think generally about certain people and your perspective and your personality type I'm going to get a golden retriever version or a beaver version or an otter version or a lion version. All of that's in the mix of what we think about someone else. So when you say, yeah, but you're going to find this, you may be telling me that from your personality type and if I'm a different personality type, I may have seen that but not even noticed it because I'm not affected by those things. That's not what bothers me or grabs my attention. You all with me? So despite your personal experience being different, You continue to retain a wrong image of a person because someone told you this is what that person is like. And that really is a simple analogy of how it is with God and his acts and his ways. You say, well, the person that told me that about God or about David Cameron 
really knows the word, really knows the acts of God, really knows the word. And that's what I grew up doing, knowing that people over me, I didn't know anything. I had no Christian background, didn't know the word. And the pastor really knows the word. So whatever those that really know the word say, that's what we all do. Because they really know the word. And of course it takes years to really know the word. So you have nothing to defend it with, nothing to counter it with. And so it's years before you start to think, well, I think there's something else I need to think about here in the word that I've noticed. Because no one allowed for the fact that in, after being saved five minutes, you could have known more about God in relationship than the people quoting you the word that had known the word for 20 years. No one allowed for that. And it would have been arrogant to suggest that. And I knew that knowing the word and knowing his acts did not mean that those that were discipling me, leading me, leading us, knew, God knew about God. It's like saying I know David Cameron because I read his manifesto. Because I read his manifesto, I know that guy, I understand him, I get him, I think this and this. But a manifesto doesn't tell you anything about David Cameron. Tells you about his policies or the acts, as it were, of the conservative party. Just like reading the Bible tells you about the acts of God. But the manifesto doesn't tell you that David Cameron might be kind, funny, generous, loving, forgiving. A manifesto can't tell you that David Cameron likes to play guitar hero in his underpants. I don't know if he does, but... But my point is, you, the manifesto will never tell you that. No more than Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, tells you that King David liked to dance in his underpants in public. You've got to read wider about David to know that about him. To know that there's something else going on behind this warrior king that we might read about his acts and his amazing courage and his battles and the chronicles of his reign. But David was a pretty cool guy that you don't know that he was... A great musician, that he loved kids, that he was good with money, that he was very loyal, that, and he liked to dance in public occasionally in his underwear. But reading about David's acts wouldn't tell you that because you have to get to know him and know his ways rather than his acts to say, I know David. No, you know about David. But we don't know David. We know about that person, but we don't know that person. I ride, I ride a motorcycle. You may have a certain perspective of people who ride motorcycles. And that may be a good or a bad one. You will, if you ride motorcycles, you know, I think it's dangerous. I think it's irresponsible. I think it's uh, a bit risky. Or you might think, well, he, he's probably a hell's angel. He probably drinks. He's probably a drug taker. You know, in different parts of the world, riding a motorcycle has different connotations in different communities and to different personalities and the stage of life that you're at. And if you're a million miles from being that kind of person, you can't understand that other kind of person. And so all you know is someone rides a motorcycle and around that you build whatever you build. But supposing you didn't know anything about motorcycles and all you knew is I played golf. Oh, well, that's okay. That's more respectable. That's more skill-based. It's more middle-class. It's more team-based. You know, that's nice. They're respectable people. You know, they dress nice. They, they go on the greens and they're responsible people. You know, it's not risky. It's not dangerous. Well, you know I play golf, but it doesn't tell you anything about me. No more than riding a motorcycle does. 
That's what I mean about people and about God. We think, well, we know about that, and from that we deduce this, that, and the other, and so we really have motorcycle churches and golf churches based on people's perception of what those two things mean to me and what I'd rather have. But the truth is God rides motorcycles and he plays golf. God's into both. But we have never allowed for God to be into both. We want God to choose, be one or the other, because my heart is too narrow to embrace both. I want you to be this kind of person. And the truth is we create God in our image much more than we created in His. We create the God that we feel safe and comfortable with, even down to things that are to do with personality types. And we make God the kind of person we want Him to be, and He's just not that way, and He won't fit in a box, and He's not tame, and He won't join your club, and He won't stay in the boxes you tick. Once you've got Him figured out, He pops up somewhere else and says, See, you'll never figure me out. We don't like that about Him, but that is what it's like to know God. Not to know about God. more I got to know God for myself as a young believer... The more I had to leave the group, the more I had to uncouple myself from what went for normal around here. Because I knew that that wasn't my experience. I remember the first time I ever wept publicly in a service, probably in the first six months of being saved. I remember the commotion it caused and the upset it caused because no one obviously had ever wept in that church for a long time. And I was crying because I was just overcome by the goodness and the grace of God. I didn't have that language then. But I remember three people coming up and saying, are you okay? What's wrong with you? Like they were so uncomfortable with my, with my emotion that they wanted me to deal with that, tidy up, put it away and stop it. And I began to realize early on that, that, that to relate with God in a way that you know Him personally is uncomfortable for people who only know Him by His word or His acts but don't really, don't really have a walk with God. This, they searched for people to false witness against Jesus and couldn't find anybody because the people knew him and knew that we can't say anything bad about him. So they had to pay somebody to invent things against him because no one had a problem with Jesus because to know him was to love him. And the crowd and the people and the common man, as it were, knew him and knew that he wasn't guilty of the things they were saying he was because they knew him, the Pharisees, knew the word of God but couldn't see God in front of their face when he appeared in a form that they didn't approve of, a motorcycle riding, hanging out with wrong kind of people. Jesus did not fit their idea of what God would look like from the acts that they knew because they had no relationship with him. And so... By the time I'd stopped relying on other people's version of God by knowing him by his acts only. And by the time we started to get to know God for ourselves, it was too late. We'd already burnt out Elvis records. We'd already given up denim and makeup. We'd given up TV, given up unsafe friends, offended our families by trying to evangelize them because that's what we were told we should do. And we become generally weird. <laughs> and we're proud of that because that's what we were told God wanted us to be like. So we became odd and dysfunctional and things that we just used to have a problem with. Now we've got a hang up about. And by the time we start to get to know God for ourselves, 
we'd already began to get up early to pray because we were told that's what you're supposed to do because, you know, people had a few verses about walking with God in the cool of the day or I will seek you early, the psalmist said, or Jesus got up early to pray. That's now becomes the blueprint for what we should all do forever after. Amen. Doesn't matter whether you are better PM than you are AM. Doesn't matter whether you are more alert at the evening or the middle of the day than the morning. We were all told getting up early is virtuous, it's spiritual, it's holy, and God wants it from us. And as a young believer, I was told all this stuff that I should do, get up early to pray, and I did, and I fell asleep every single morning. And then I felt bad that I let God down. And then when I told someone I fell asleep, they said to me, well, you know, Jesus said, could you not watch with me one hour? It's like, ugh. Twisting the knife, I already felt a failure. I have no stamina. I'm not the real deal. I can't be as committed as those people because I don't want to get up early. Yes, I know you don't want to get up early, but that's the flesh. You have to crucify the flesh. So, this ring a bell with anybody? Hello. So you got So the fact that you don't want to get up is the proof that you are not yet fully sanctified and hardcore. So you must crucify the desire to stay in bed, get up, drag your lazy, uncommitted self to a place of prayer. It was called a quiet time. Where in the world that came from? I've no idea that term. But it was the quiet time or going into your closet or, or whatever that meant. I've no idea. And praying. And that's what I tried to do for years and it was just awful. And I hated God for making me do it. And I felt God was hard work to be around. And I felt God was too fussy. And I thought this was too demanding and I was never going to make it. Until I secretly began to sleep in and not get up and pray. And found that I was much more alert and much more at ease and at peace and much more felt connected with God in other parts of the day than trying to get up in the morning and pray and feel bad that I couldn't then spend all the day apologizing to God that I let him down that I couldn't pray like the other spiritual people and I promised I'd do better tomorrow because the time I got to know God when I realized all this stuff that they were telling me God didn't even care about I didn't know that God loved Elvis And I tell you something, you better get to know God for yourself before you go to heaven. Because if on the first night you're in heaven, there's an Elvis concert. <laughs> no, seriously. Because there may well be. Where are you all going? Oh, Elvis is singing tonight. What? What? How do you mean Elvis is singing? I burned all his records 55 years ago. I was told that God hated Elvis, that Elvis represented rock and roll, and Elvis represented carnality and sin, and, and I gave up my Elvis records for Jesus, and Jesus will say, excuse me, I never asked you to do that. What? I never asked you to do that. But the pastor said, I know, he didn't know me either. I never asked you to give up Elvis, I love Elvis, I'm well into Elvis, Elvis is on tonight. I'm serious. Well, we gave all that stuff up and we didn't need to. Yeah. What's Gabriel doing in Denham? What is that about? I gave up, I gave up Denham for you, Jesus. 
60 years ago, I never wore denim from that day because I was told denim was to do with, you know, edgy people and, and bikers and, and, and rough people and criminals. And, and God's like, whoa, check out my jeans. <laughs> he may well say, you know, we caught, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. He may well say, I was in denim and you didn't invite me in. Because I didn't have on the clothes that you said God would wear. Or I came in denim and you made me get rid of my denim and put on something more acceptable in the cloth that you prefer. By the time we got to know God, we'd become the head of the home as men because we were told you're the man, you're the head of the home. Even though your wife is way better than you in being the head of the home in a bunch of stuff. I was told it's the man's job to run the finances in the home. Anybody remember that? And we had men in our church that were absolutely useless with money that were running the finances in the home because that's what the Bible expects. I don't know where we get that stuff from, but that's what we were told. So all the men are running the finances and the finances are a mess and the families are in debt and the guys don't know where the receipts are and the bills are and nothing's getting paid and don't know anything about standing orders and APR rates and credit cards and just... Well, 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 what's the problem? Well, you know, he's running the money. And every single day I say to him, you know, if I were you, it's not your position. I am the priest of the home. <laughs> so by the time we got to know God, when God's like, I don't care who runs the money. I don't care. Whoever's good at that, go at it and enjoy it. Yeah. What? But Lord, for years I ran the finances. Yeah, you did a terrible job as well. <laughs> Because you got something told to you that I didn't know I was supposed to believe in. And I could go on with this huge list, family devotions. Oh, you have to have a family altar time. So we get all the kids, drag them out of bed, drag them around the table. And then we pray and we have a little sing song and we have all the kids share a little ditty. And I share something and, and, and it was just a nightmare. And the kids didn't like it and I didn't like it and God didn't like it. But we said, this is what we were told to do. You know, and if you're a family devotion, family altar time, and it works for you, fantastic. Brilliant. But what we did was we franchised it. And we said, this is a one-size-fits-all, and this is what we do with our kids and with our money and with our music and with our TVs. We covered up our TVs with a blanket. Some of you young people are like, you are kidding me. I'm telling you. This is where many of us came from. And I know you say, well, that's not my problem. I know, but there's still expressions of this all over our churches that I don't want you to grow up under. A new version of this that may be your particular thing you have to battle with. Because it came from people that knew the word but didn't know God. And when I got to know God for myself, I'm like, you know, God doesn't seem bothered about any of this stuff. And we built rule-keeping axe-knowing, word-quoting churches. But the moment anyone behaved like they actually knew God, it was like all hell broke loose. Like, what? You said what? You think what? The moment you drove in something that didn't, was approved of, or wore something that wasn't, you know, in keeping with the Christian fashion, which, <laughs> I'm being generous there. And I realized God doesn't care if you get up early or late or 
or have any routine at all that can be recognized by the routine cops as a routine. He just wants you to be yourself. Wow, that's heresy. No, that is the most liberating thing you'll ever hear. And, and if you can't live with that, I tell you, if that's too much freedom for you, I promise you, there's plenty of churches looking for you. <laughs> plenty of churches that will be happy for you to go in your non-demon, non-Elvis, getting up early, priest of the home, baloney. <laughs> and so I determined as early on as I could, and I wish it was sooner, that I wanted to know God and not know about God. I wanted to know God for myself and not know your version of God. And I appreciate everybody that teaches us and mentors us and, uh, and shows us things that maybe can help us in our journey. This is not about not doing that anymore. But this is about saying, I appreciate that. I thank you for that. But you know, there's something, there's something I'm finding in my walk with God too that's unique and different and I don't think it really fits that mold or that idea. But if we allow for that, then we all have time and we have space to allow each other to get to know God for ourselves and we can still share our ideas and thinking. But let's never do it as an imposition, as a demand, as a command, as a one-size-fits-all. Because that makes you tidy for me. means I can control you. I'm not threatened by you. But if we'll step back from that and say, listen, anything, any type, any personality type, any, any expression of how you walk with God, it, it, we're all different. And the difference, the difference is the fun. The difference is the variety, the adventure. The, it's in the difference. You can, you can lay your head on his chest and have that flow with him. You can, you can stand at a distance and be more the kind of a offering facts and figures relationship with him, as did Philip. My understanding of Philip, you can be a Judas that stands at a distance and has no intimacy with him. It's like, choose whatever level you want, but don't tell me this is how you should be. And let's not do that for our young people and for our new, new people that come to Christ. People that are newly born again, newly walking with God. We want to say to them, walk with God, get to know God, get to find what suits your relationship with him. Here's some guidelines, here's some wisdom, here's some stuff that we found that worked for us. Maybe it'll help you, or maybe it'll help you in a different way to it helped me. But all we're simply doing is, is allowing people to be raised according to the bent and strength and type that God made them to be. We want you to know God. We don't want you to know about God. What is the point of getting to heaven and say, Lord, I know all about you. And then the first time you ever see God you're like, what in the world is that? The first time you ever hear God, as it were, you're like, I never knew you thought that, Lord. You're because, like he said to the Pharisees and religious leaders, you, you cast out demons and you heal the sick, but you guys never knew me. You never, ever knew me. And it seems a crazy thing to say that they can heal the sick and cast out demons, be doing the things of his acts, doing the acts that God wants knowing that's what God would want me to do, and to doing all that and not know him, he would rather you know him and not do any of that than say, that's what I'm doing, as if that's a compensation for knowing him. It's not. He wants you to know him. And we want you to know him, just as you are. And every new person emerging in our church is a new believer. We love you. 
We'll give guidance, we'll give wisdom, but we want you to get to know Him. Because in knowing Him early on, you're going to find your gift, your calling, your identity, how to spend your life, how to slot in, where you're best going to be used, your strengths, your weaknesses. You're going to find that out early on. Many of us didn't know for years because we were someone else's version of the real person that God made us to be. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.